Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? How's it going? Good. It's good. We're both. Uh, we're gonna try to record this podcast while staying healthy, staying off the injured list, which uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins players these days hasn't been an easy task to do. But I'm excited to do this. I uh, people have noticed that I've been tweeting a lot about the Penguins lately, and I think for good reason. I mean, for my money, um, you know, I think it's the best story going on in hockey right now. Just these the, the sort of idea that they're losing all these guys key contributors are just dropping like flies but it's not mattering they just keep racking up wins and doing so in impressive ways that are completely uh legitimate and sustainable at that and so i think there's no shortage of storylines and i'm excited to uh to deep dive the penguins and get into it with you here today yeah um to your point um i mean you tweeted out a list today i think of players that uh had missed five or less games Yep. Uh, and most of them had played in the American Hockey League at some point <laughs> in the last year. So uh, it's kind of unbelievable. I'm driving the, the Mike Sullivan for Jack Adams train as hard as I can because I just don't think he's getting enough credit for, for the work that he's done. I know that you know people will point to, to Tristan Jari, for example, who in and of itself is a story and has done a phenomenal job in goal. They'll point to you know Evgeny Malkin and, and Brian Rust having great years. But the, the fundamental behavior of this team, the way that they play, the I guess, you know, quote unquote, intangible buy-in that they have to the system and et cetera, et cetera. That's all real. Uh, the behavior, the peripherals behind the scenes here, you know, the, the, the most predictable stuff that we have available to us says that this is not going to be an easy team to beat in a seven game series. So um, I think people in Pittsburgh are kind of like coagulating around that finally and saying like, hey, it's OK to not be terrified, uh, you know, <laughs> given the sheer number of man games lost, things, things might actually be OK here. Yeah, no, I mean, that that list that you mentioned that I tweeted out, I mean, I'm not going to go through it because there are a number of names there, but it's basically gotten to the point where you're, you're, you're better off just, or it's easier to 
just talk about the guys who have been healthy as opposed to the litany of players who have missed time because it's gotten to be so extensive. And, you know, with all due respect to, you know, that third quote unquote check in line they have, which has been playing remarkably well, and John Marino, who we're going to get into, who uh, were the drivers of the fan club. I mean, those guys are playing well, but I think if you came into this year, you'd say that like the top six forwards, basically they were that they were counting on, and and the top three defensemen have all missed uh, extended and significant periods of time. And you know, going from Malkin missing the for the start of the year, and then as soon as he comes back, Crosby goes down, and then okay, Malkin and Gensel have this chemistry, and now Gensel's out for the year, and and it always seems like it's something, but the fact that it hasn't really resulted in any uh, dip in play for them, and and they kind of have this ne- next man up mentality um, is both a, it's a both a cute story and it's something that you know penguins fans but also your casual observer can latch on to and really relate to and and enjoy and at the same time i'm glad you mentioned that you know those underlying numbers as well um point to the fact that there is something special here it's not like one of those ragtag groups where you know the goalie just gets really hot and and they're rattling off these wins but we're all kind of keep waiting for um you know the bottom to fall out from under them and the and the list of injuries to become so insurmountable that the winning is going to stop like in this case i mean clearly if if they don't have malkin and crosby at the same time in the lineup i think that's a different story but as long as they have one of those guys in there it seems like they can kind of make it work with all the other moving parts and part of that is the depth and and the team and the assets that uh that they've assembled but a lot of it has to do with the fact that mike sullivan as you mentioned is just doing a great job of kind of pushing all the right buttons yeah like and, and let's think about john marino for a second um you, you know who's having a phenomenal year and it's it's as a rookie um you know looking like a you know paul martin in 2000 you know 13 uh <laughs> i just think that you know, you have a situation now where Brian Dumoulin, who, you know, for my money, bar none, is the best defensive defenseman on the hockey team, night in and night out. Generally underappreciated around the league. I think we talked about him the last time mm-hmm. I was on the podcast is just generally being, um, you know, an underappreciated guy. He's out. He's been out for a while. Um, John Marino's, you know, not not quite, you know, quote unquote, filled those minutes, but Make no mistake, without that trade, without John Marino on the roster right now, um, this thing may have gone off the rails at some point. I know it's big praise of a a kid who's played 44 games in the National Hockey League and is fresh out of college and is still fairly raw, uh, but that's the kind of poise you're talking about. I mean, the ability to step in, you know, for a guy like a Brian Dumoulin and and take that time and and not sink. Um, You know, Jack Johnson's not an easy guy to play with. He's having his best. He's been having his best year analytically right. the last three years. Um, but you, you you watch the trends of this year and, and who he's played with and the way he's bounced around. Um, despite you know the difficulties I think that come in being paired with him in terms of you know his limitations on the breakout, yep. John Marino is like the only player on the Penguins roster that's not anchored by him. And and I think that alone, um, the ability to play you know with a guy who maybe forces you to have to be the one to carry the puck way more than you're used to uh, even in that environment uh to not be able to you know to not miss a to not miss a beat um that that depth is is you know that's that's the point i'm making here that depth is throughout uh and the penguins have gotten those contributions when somebody's gone down all the way through the lineup it's been branded 10 of this last week that's the flavor that's the flavor of the week for them right 
Well, let's get into this Marino thing. I was going to save it for later, but um, I can't contain my excitement, and I think that uh, we'd be selling the listeners short if we didn't really devote uh, the full amount of time to it. I mean, I really don't think that you can overstate his effect or sort of uh, be be too hyperbolic about it. I mean, for me right now, he's a clear-cut top three Calder pick. Uh, you know, clearly, he doesn't have sort of the flashiness to his game, and he's not going to put up the counting stats that... Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes are going to have and I think that's ultimately going to limit his upside in that race but at the same time I mean just watching him from the eye test it's obscenely smooth I mean from the stick work to the positioning to sort of just the poise with the pocket and tight spaces and the awareness of kind of where everyone else on the ice is I mean it's something that I know he's a bit of an older rookie he's 22 years old he's gonna be turning 23 this summer but given the the limited experience at the NHL level, it's, it's something you don't often see, especially from a player at that position. And and I think the interesting question here, because all of that seems totally legit, is sort of what the, uh, as he grows more into his game and as he becomes more confident and more empowered, what sort of the next step for is in terms of the offensive upside. Because I think that from watching him, over the past couple of weeks, I've noticed that he's certainly become more willing. I'm not sure how much of that is the coaching staff sort of allowing him to do it, how much of it is like him feeling uh, more secure in his position on the team and, and the fact that he's getting all these reps under his belt, but he's really opening the game up and kind of trying new plays in terms of there was a play the other night, uh, I forget if it was against Arizona or against Colorado, but where he had kind of a shot, but then the shot la- the shooting lane closed on him, and then he took the puck more so towards the net and, and showed off this kind of patience uh, to let passing lanes open before he did something with it. And so if that continues to develop, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. But just the thing that I've noticed is, you know, the ice time by month going from 17-19 per game in October to 20-55 to 21-43 to 22-12 here most recently in January. Part of it is the injuries and the fact that without guys like Dumoulin and Schultz there, he's going to be asked to do more. But I think part of it is also like he's playing so well that if you're Mike Sullivan, you kind of can't help but just keep seeing what the sort of outer, outer boundaries of his limits are because he's playing that well. Yeah, and I so if you go back to camp and and when he showed up uh, to the team, this is a post trade, um, and people started to get like you know a, a real good look at him in person. It kind of was evident right out of the gate that there was something special about the way he carried and distributed the puck and sort of like his posture. And I made note like I don't think he looked at the puck in training camp. Like, you know, he's just never had to look. And that's so important, like, to have your head up to survey the ice like that as such a young player. Um, it, it was really impressive. And then the preseason one, he started to get more time and more time and more time. Um, and then Kevin Stevens was kind of running around being like, you know, I told you so. You know, and it's, that was a big – Kevin Stevens is really the reason he's here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was out, out east and he was doing the scouting. And obviously that team – was chock full of talent, right? You know, Adam Fox, you know, um, John Marino wasn't necessarily the, the gem on display, but it's the, he's the guy that caught Kevin Stevens eye. Um, you know, the penguins end up facilitating the trade. You go through the preseason. Um, I think by the time you saw him the third time in the preseason, it was like, just play him. It was that evident to me, um, at that point that he had at least earned himself some kind of brief glimpse at the beginning of the season. Um, they carried eight defensemen on the roster through the most, you know, first month until they could unload Eric and Branson. 
Um, this is, you know, at the time, right, of getting Malkins out, you've got an injury crisis at forward already. Brian Rust was out, right? He wasn't even in the lineup yet. And here the Penguins are at a shortage, a shortage of forward carrying uh, 8D on the NHL club just so they can keep this kid in and, and give him ice time. Um, and, you know, at, and to your point, when you look at the increase over time, I just think that he's got the goods of what makes a good two-way modern-day puck-distributing NHL defenseman. He, uh, he can skate it himself. He's, I think, cognizant of when uh, to take control of the puck and outlet it and when, and when um, you know, to force it out to a forward. I think he oftentimes hits the reset button completely. And when he's in control of the breakout, if he doesn't like what he sees, he'll take a cruise back behind the net. The forwards are just going to have to come back and try it again. You know, that's no skin off his back. Um, he's just that patience, right? That veteran patience. Uh, and then I think for me, the most exciting part to watch, the part that's been the best for him is the way he controls the defensive blue line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when forwards get to him, he's on them. He's got an active stick, a long reach, very rangy defenseman, and he attacks. He he's not he's not reactive. He's proactive, um, and and he is a dog to get the puck around if you're an opposing forward because uh, you know you're not going to have the time or the space. Yeah, I really do think his game is is pretty flawless from that perspective, and and I, I don't know maybe it's just. Uh... I've been on hockey Twitter for too long or, or I've been watching broadcasts where when, when someone says uh, like two way, it always makes me think of like, oh, the guy's not actually that good offensively or whatever. We just kind of like say he's a pretty good player for Marino in this case. I, I really do think that, uh, you know, he has he's kind of been baby steps in this regard, but both in terms of sort of the hockey sense and the awareness to jump in in the play and also the physical tools with the skating that you mentioned and sort of the touch. I think he's got much more to his offensive game than he's shown so far. And, and you know, it's easy for a young player when they're thrown in and, uh, you know, they're really, their minutes are very well manicured and the coach is making sure to only get them out there in their most advantageous situations. For them, I mean, you know, whether it's playing 175 or so minutes with Jack Johnson and now uh, paired with Marcus Pedersen, they're basically playing uh, with that check line as sort of the de facto shutdown pair like he's been really thrown into the deep end and still has you know expected goals and shot shares north of 56 percent and so for a young defenseman to have that type of a workload and thrive as much as he has so far i mean it's crazy like i said he's not going to be in the same breath as um as Hughes and Makar, but he's right there with, uh, you know, Adam Fox in that next year. And, and I, and I think that people are slowly coming around to it. It went from kind of like a, a fun little story and all oh, this guy's got a, uh, a last name we're aware of to all of a sudden, like, Oh, he's actually kind of good to now. Like, Holy shit. He's just, he's the real deal. A hundred percent. And you made them, you, you made the comment earlier, you know, about some of the things he's been doing over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I can't even remember what game it was that he pulled a spinorama on the, it was the Senators zone. game, I think. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I do attribute some of that to Marcus Pedersen. Mm-hmm. I think it affords John Marino a freedom that he maybe didn't have with Jack Johnson. The two of them are both really good at, at getting the puck up the ice. I think Marino may already be better than Marcus Pedersen in that regard. Um, but Pedersen's no slouch. I think he, I think if Pedersen has a downside, it's maybe he, he runs himself headfirst into trouble one too many times um, with the puck on his stick. But watching the two of them work together has been awesome because I think if you're game planning and, – and this is – for me, this is the problem with Chris Letang right now. When you're game planning from an opposition's perspective and you have a pairing of Jack Johnson and Chris Letang, who do you want as an opposing coach carrying the puck out? of those two 
obviously <laughs> Jack Johnson, right? Yeah. So you're going to do everything you can on your forecheck to try to make that happen and to take Chris Letang out of it or at least, if nothing else, make his job harder, right? Um, now, that's not to excuse Letang, who has had his rough patches the last couple weeks, but that, my point being, if you're looking at John Marino and Marcus Pedersen, we'll pick one now, right? Yep. There's really no good option. <laughs> and I think it, it, the two of them playing patty cake with each other in the defensive zone and kind of working it up in a puck support fashion has really freed the Penguins' offense up in a lot of ways to you know, find new and, and innovative ways to gain the, the, the blue line and, and start to attack. Um, really that engine dr- being driven by those two on the back end. Well, and I think especially when Schultz and Dumoulin come back, it's really going to open so many doors for them in terms of getting creative and mixing and matching and, and um, having enough uh, horses on the on the back end there to play the way they want to play. And, and that's what stuck out of me watching in this year. It's really um, gotten back to very reminiscent of when Mike Sullivan first took over in 2015-16 when they sort of made us all think about how different it is to be fast skaters versus play fast in terms of like decision making and moving the puck and and that's what's really stuck out to me watching this year it feels like they've really gotten back to those sort of roots of just uh this kind of like relentless wave the, the depth they have the forecheck the ability to just never allow the opposition to rest up and so um it's a combination of Sullivan, obviously, and and the personnel they actually have right now. But having at least you know more than one uh, reliable defender to be able to move the puck is gonna, I'm sure, be a you know a really interesting wrinkle for this team because that's not something we've been able to say about them in the past, even when they were winning Stanley Cups. Now they won't do this, okay? So mm-hmm. let me preface what I'm about to tell you with the Mike Sullivan will not do this. What I what I would love to see though. Um, I think you put Letang and Dumoulin back together, right? Because that's just – that's common yeah. sense. I don't see a reason to break that second pairing up. And I, and I think that you could I, – I, this sounds funny, but again, I want to be very clear that Jack Johnson has not killed the Penguins this year. <laughs> uh, and most of the performance that he's turned in, if nothing else, has been at least average, which you can live with. The best performance the Penguins ever got out of Justin Schultz was on the third pairing. I think that's where Jack Johnson, you know, kind of ultimately is going to give you his best performance. Mm-hmm. You can babysit those two a little bit, kind of deploy them and in, in whatever strength you feel uh, would be necessary. And then all of a sudden, that's a really good third pairing. Um, I do think Marino and Pedersen get split up uh, is ultimately what happens. Um, I don't know where Jack Johnson lands after Brian Dumoulin comes back. But I just to me, I, I, I think the Penguins feel very strongly about not railroading Justin Schultz. Um, he's not going to resign in Pittsburgh, probably. Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to keep him. But I know they also feel very strongly about, you know, probably not wanting to ruin his opportunity to make money somewhere else. Um, so I think that's one of the drivers I think behind, you know, maybe wanting to showcase him a little bit more. Yeah, and he's perfectly suited for that sort of sheltered third pairing role. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's been so fascinating. We, we're like twenty minutes into the show almost, and we haven't really talked about uh, Crosby and Malkin yet. And I guess that uh, lends itself to the the special Penguins team this year, and and all the different players that you can latch onto and discuss and and sort of highlight their contributions. But you know, with with Crosby out, I mean, this Penguins team going nineteen six and four. Um, 
with a very positive goal differential and then you know kind of exemplified with this tricky west road trip they just had which is which they had a clean sweep and and played some really uh strong games i thought against some pretty uh significant competition and just watching malkin i mean it's not necessarily any surprise that he elevates his game when Crosby's not out there. Uh, they, they flashed some stat on the most recent broadcast where he has like 198 points in 146 career games without Crosby or something I've seen like that. But for him to do it this year, I feel like is a slightly bigger deal just because of how I thought he sort of looked pedestrian relative to his obviously his own lofty standards last year. But I thought that, you know, given the mileage, the age, the sort of injury history that had kind of totaled itself over the years, I did think it was fair to wonder how much of that fastball he had left and like when he needed to reach back what he could ultimately get to for an extended period of time. And I think he's certainly whatever happened this summer in terms of the motivations from the year past or whether you mixed with his training or or what have you it, it's clear that um he's alleviated a lot of those concerns a lot of those questions and and he's really sort of kind of went super saiyan and taken his game to a next level without without Crosby in the lineup. Yeah, um, I think I think uh, you know for me anyway, it's been a much more cerebral of Kenny Malkin um, in terms of the way he distributes the puck. Um, I think that you've seen a level of creativity from him in the offensive zone um, that we didn't see at all last year. Uh, the extended offensive shifts from his line have been again a hallmark um, that you know didn't really appear last year. Um, I, I just think that people are going to hate me for saying this and that's fair because everybody loves Phil Kessel and I'm not here to spin you any tale about how bad Phil Kessel was defensively because that's not true um, or you know blah blah blah. I just think that Phil Kessel and Evgeny Malkin were like oil and water sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Kessel being a guy that really wants the puck all the time um, and, and Phil Kessel loved to shoot the puck as well he should given how good he is at it. But a lot of times Phil misses the net and it goes off the glass and you got to regroup and there's there's an element that's why I mean for me it was never surprising to see Phil Kessel consistently despite all the goals he scored everything else have just bad possession and expected goal metrics because he was kind of like a one and done scorer in, in terms of how he generated his chances and I think that that ultimately it just didn't jive with Evgeny Malkin it didn't and, and they tried it it didn't work. Um, I think it frustrated both of them. Um, it was nobody's fault. It just works like that sometimes. And I think that Malkin right now is kind of like realizing I'm not going to one-on-four this anymore, right? I can't come across the blue line with speed and go through three guys like I used to. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to change the pace. I'm going to speed up. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to use my body. I'm going to create space for myself and my teammates and then we'll go from there. And I, and I think that's the biggest difference is it's kind of like this sort of focused control um, and, and a little bit more of a mindfulness that you just, you know, again, not to say he was awful last year, but I think those were elements that he was, they, they weren't on display uh, and it hampered his game and, and they're gone. Well, you've seen it all across the ice. Like he's so talented <laughs> uh, as both a passer and a shooter that he can get away with kind of being lazy or, or just kind of focusing on the offensive side of things when he's in the, in the attacking zone and, and still be a net positive. But what I've seen from him, especially over the past like 15, 20 games is, is just what you, what you alluded to there, kind of that relentless, um, you know, engaged uh, game where he's really been just hounding the puck. There's been countless examples in recent games where he's going back and, you know, either in the back check or sort of in the neutral zone, just 
basically dislodging a player from a puck and taking it back for himself and getting it back in the offensive zone and, and playing that uh, full ice game. And so that's been really fun to see. You know, you're obviously always going to have the... Uh, you know the penalty minutes with him and, and he's going to take sloppy penalties and he certainly has done so again this year but that's kind of been the story of his career you you take the good with the bad because the good is so great and and the offense is one thing I think what's really stuck out for me is 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 how he's translated his game to those other levels that I just discussed and so I don't know it's I think the combination of this vintage performance of him and him showing that he still has it plus all of those kind of end of decade reviews kind of got me thinking how we'll remember his career and sort of how differently um, it would have gone if he had had his own team from the jump and if he'd always got to play with the best wingers. I don't know. It's kind of, it might be sort of an old or kind of a, a story that we've beaten to the ground because every year this kind of happens. We, we we bring that up again. But the combination of those two things and sort of the recency of it really made me just wonder whether, because I know I'm sure people in Pittsburgh appreciate him, but I think league-wide even, I mean, you look this year, he's not getting any real buzz for the MVP lists uh, he's not going to make the all-star game you know, the top 100 player joke thing aside like it does feel like he does kind of hang in the shadows and not get the love he, he deserves league-wide for a player that's producing both offensively and just territorially as he has this season without Crosby in the lineup yeah I mean and, and you've talked a lot about like these different elements of his game that you know he's just been lights out on and I'll just point to another one real quick that's always been sort of like an area of criticism is his work in the face-off circle uh, over recent, you know, last couple of early since Crosby's in the lineup, you know, it's never been better for him. This is like a career good run. So even down to something meta like that, um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it speaks to the leadership that he's gotten and sort of the, you know, in, in the same way as Crosby does it. You know, it's not rah rah, like, you know, let's go get them, boys. It's, I'm just going to get it done on the ice and you just follow me. You know, we'll just. Yep. You know, do as I do, uh, you know, type situation. So I don't get the whole lack of hype thing because he's got such like a – I don't – first of all, I don't think he minds it. How about right. that? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is his personality is huge. You know, I don't know if – people may not know this, and, and I'm going to mention it only because if you haven't seen it, it's worth looking it up. Um, when Crosby went out of the lineup, the, you know, Malkin's got his press scrum and talking about he's ready to lead the team. You know, he needs to be, he needs to be on fire. Um, and then the fire alarm like went off in PPG Paints Arena, and um, you know Malkin's in the press group going, "Don't worry, it's just me. It's me. I'm on fire." You know, it's like, <laughs> it was my analogy. It's my analogy. You know, like and he's just, he's the, he's hilarious. So um, yeah, I don't know what it is, but um, you know, I could tell you that you know that that sort of hypothetical. You know, what if is is not something anybody in Pittsburgh is all that worried about. Um, <laughs> there's well, no no shortage of appreciation uh, uh, here. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the uh, speaking of like the comedic side of it, I think one of my favorite low key YouTube videos of, of his is um, I forget what the milestone was, but like Marc Andre Fleury was gonna set some sort of a Penguins record or or, or something for like games won or, or I forget what it was exactly. But then like they asked mm-hmm. Malkin about it, and he's just like, I just I don't get how he's done it. Like I score him in practice so much, yeah. and, and obviously it's like kind of tongue in cheek as well. But just I, I feel like we have yeah, said uh, ex- exact quote to be true: every time I shoot, goal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, but it, it, the funny thing is, is like just because of his tone, I guess, and some things get lost in translation. Like it comes across as sort of very uh, serious, but he's clearly you know poking fun at his teammate. But we we haven't really, I think, fully either embraced or gotten the full scope of that sense of humor and personality nationally for a variety of reasons compared to a guy like Ovechkin. I think where it's much more sort of 
out in the open and in your face and it feels like both because he is so much the face of that franchise but also uh because of other things it just it's everyone's kind of familiar with it whereas Malkins is is a bit more subtle I think yeah yeah it is um but I I you know I think back to you know how earlier this year you know it's just Alex Galchenyuk shows up he just got traded you know this whole you know blockbuster deal's gone down guys are finally getting in the rink and starting to work out with each other and Galchenyuk only had four sticks that was it brought four sticks with him the Penguins don't have any of his gear he just got traded there it's still summer and he and Evgeny Malkin are working out together and I know Galchenyuk's like very particular about these sticks right so he's gonna make these things last until um you know everything else gets there and can be set up for him and uh Evgeny Malkin's like can I try these sticks out and he's like I mean I guess yeah and then uh, he liked them because he just took two and just left. And then Alex got changed. like, now like, like, I have half my sticks. <laughs> you know? And everybody's like, what happened to your stuff? He's like, I just, I guess Malkin liked that stick. And he just left. <laughs> that was it. So, um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things, man. It's like, I, I guess as time goes on, you know, I, I think you're finally starting to think rightfully see, like, to your point earlier, some of the – you know, bad tropes about him get shook. Um, you know, I, 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 especially from the defensive perspective. Yep. Um, you know, this isn't a situation where he's just he's putting up numbers defensively because he's got the puck so much. Uh, I, I think you can watch it on tape. I think there's a legitimate, um, you know, a legitimate growth uh, there for him uh, that's been a necessary contributor to the team overall. And it's translated all of the, you know, whether it's you're looking at the shot share, the expected goals, or the chances. I mean, it's it's through the roof with Malkin on the line, in the, on the ice, and it checks out when you watch it. Um, all right, as the guest, I'll, I'll let you, because I've got a number of things I wanted to hit on here. I mean, whether it's McCann or Jerry or, or the checking line, I mean, I guess we can hit them all in order, but is there any of those, either of those three that you want to get to first in terms of uh, talking points? I think we got to talk about Tristan Jari. All right, let's do it. Um, yeah is it's tough because uh you know he was clearly a highly regarded prospect he was a second round pick so i think it's a bit overblown to say this is kind of like completely coming out of nowhere at the same time when a guy comes into the season with 29 career games and and it does feel like i don't know how much merit to it was it but certainly he could have been had for a pretty reasonable price if, if someone had thought he had anything resembling this in his game um is it, a, is it a simple enough to be like, this is just the latest reminder that goaltending position can be incredibly uh, wild and unpredictable? Or is there some more to this? Not to diminish his performance, obviously, but when a guy kind of comes out of the blue like this and has a 9.32 save percentage, 9.40 at 5 on 5, and his third and goal saved above average behind Darcy Kemper and Ben Bishop, you kind of uh, raise your eyebrow. Clearly, it wasn't something that I think even the Penguins were probably uh, banking on heading into the season. I think it's a great example of how pedigree sometimes takes time to grow. Hmm. And that's, ped- you know, we live in a world where like so many young players are so good right away, right? Um, that's not true for everyone. Not everyone's development path, I think, follows that route. You know, Tristan, Tristan Jari is so highly regarded that yet people forget that when the Penguins drafted him in his draft year, he was the backup to Laurent Brassois. He wasn't even the starter in Edmonton. So the Penguins felt so strongly about his pedigree that they took him, having only seen him for basically a quarter of the games that season. Didn't even have evidence of his ability to take a full workload at the CHL level. And then the next year, they won the Memorial Cup. <laughs> so it was like, okay, you know, that investment, that was, a, that was the right investment. Like, yeah. good job. Um, 
and and then I for I think what happened was it was out of sight, out of mind. Well, there was no chance that Tristan Jari was breaking into this team early on as a pro with Mark Andre Fleury and Matt Murray in front of him, right? That's not going to happen. Uh, and then even after that, you know, with Matt Murray's kind of like injury situation and, and struggles, you know, Casey DeSmith was really good for a brief period of time, not this good, but um, right. he, he was okay. And, and, and I think the Penguins were really just, were like, we just got to let Tristan Jari play, right? But there's no point in having him come up here and be a backup. He's got to take, you know, these three games and four night trips down in the American Hockey League. And he did really well down there last year. He didn't post numbers. I think the problem was is he didn't post numbers that pop off the page to you and scream like, oh, my goodness, this is some kind of generational performance. You know, um, it was just really good. It, it, but it was out of sight, out of mind. Right. We didn't see him. And unless you had AHL TV and you were sitting down and watching Wilkes Bear Scranton, you didn't see him either. So it was one of those things that when he showed up to camp and he looked so much better. Uh, people thought that maybe there was something to this, like they were showcasing him for trade still. Or no, I think the Penguins just really felt that he was the second best goaltender uh, on the roster at that point and had a chance to, um, you know, grow his game this season. And my goodness, uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted this. But uh, you know, it, it just again, I I think it's for me, it, it's a good it's a good reminder of how long term some of these investments in the draft can be. You know, I mean, remember, like I said, the Penguins felt so strongly about him that they took him basically blind, um, and it, it's paid off, but it, not overnight. And and that's just the reality of how it works sometimes. I think that that patience is something that um, I think we've all sort of lost sight of. I think in some ways, as far as development is concerned. Certainly, and I think it's obviously a good problem to have where you can, as long as he keeps playing like this, you just ride the hot hand. I think uh, it was similar to last year, actually. I don't think Casey DeSmith had these highs per se, and and it felt like it was much more unsustainable just because it kind of bursting out of nowhere, um, even more so than Jerry has so far. But um, even at the time, I remember it was like, all right, well, you know, it affords them the luxury to bring Murray along slowly, let him figure it out. I, I still think he's going to be heard from, and, and that certainly played out in the second half. Now, the fascinating thing here is I think the Penguins are very clearly um, – you know, had their eyes on the prize this season. They're one of the better teams. I think they're going to focus on whatever gives them the best chance to win this season and go far in the playoffs. But it, it just, you know, spinning it forward and thinking ahead and kind of viewing the big picture with the fact that both of them, uh, both Jerry and Murray, are coming up as RFAs looking for new deals this summer. I think let's say this keeps going the way it has so far. Maybe Jerry comes back down to earth a little bit, but still has like a 925 save percentage by years and has played slightly, you know, around half of the team's games. It's going to be super interesting to see how they handle that this summer with the negotiations and, and how willing they are. And I think the, the dollar figures are clearly going to tell us where they stand, but just sort of how they, uh, how they view both guys in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and then you have Seattle knocking on the door, mm. um, and the potential for the Penguins to lose one of them again to an expansion draft. So we've come full like time is a flat circle, rust coal, true detective yeah. type situation here. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think that I don't get the sense that the Penguins have any concern about Matt Murray. I think the problem right now is trying to get him time while also trying to win the division. And, you know, keep these games, um, these magnitude type games, you know, without Sidney Crosby, without these star players, you know, as winnable as possible. And the reality is that Tristan Jari gives you a better chance to do that. Um, so I don't think the Penguins have in any sense given up or, or concerned about Matt Murray. 
Um, I also don't get the sense that the Penguins are concerned about Tristan Jari's sustainability. Um, you know, I, again, I don't think they're thinking he's going to go through, you know, posting a 963, some bizarre save percentage, breaking <laughs> shutout street records all year long. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think they're very comfortable if they have to go this route into the postseason. Um, and why not, uh, given uh, the sample size they have so far? Mm. Man, the uh, yeah, I want to get to McCann here for a bit because, uh, you know, obviously seeing him, I, I was covering the Canucks full time when they drafted him and, and following the early part of his career. And I, I was talking to someone, uh, I don't think it was on a podcast. I think it was kind of just like a private conversation with, with someone in the league. And, and McCann came up and we were talking about his career arc and, it's so fascinating to think about like the fact that this is a, a guy who's 23 and, and you know, you're, you were just mentioning with Jerry how long it takes sometimes for a draft pick to realize their potential or live up to that pedigree and finally provide something of value to the team that drafts them. For McCann, he's basically already at this point of his career still being younger than Jerry is now. He gets one taken one pick ahead of David Pasternak. He gets rushed into the NHL as a 19-year-old when he probably wasn't ready physically. Then after that one year where he kind of struggles as a, as a teenager, he gets dealt for Eric Goodbranson. And then he gets dealt to Pittsburgh as essentially part of a salary dump trade so the Panthers can open up as much room as they can to overpay a goalie. And Who's not paying not, off yeah, right he's now. He's not good. Yeah, yeah. And so he go through that entire cycle, and now you got a guy who's 23 who's you know, he scored 19 goals over the last year. I think he's probably going to score like t- low 20s, maybe even up to 25 this year. Um, just a really good, solid player who can slot into that kind of middle six down down the middle and, and bump to the wing because his shot is that good. And you've got him on this cost-controlled contract. And it's just like, it, it's not ultimately, um, you know, a deal breaker in the grand scheme of things in terms of like, oh my God, teams that missed, missed out on him or traded him away. This is going to completely undo their franchise. I don't think he's that caliber of player, but just like because of that, it kind of gets swept under the rug. But it, I just wanted to shine some light on that career arc because I think it's one of the most like undertold stories from like, a, oh my God, how did this many teams have him in their grasp and completely butcher it and just lose horribly in terms of value in the trade they made. I think the Penguins kind of, you know, th- this is one of the big reasons they've had such a staunch improvement this year. And it's not even a trade they made, you know, it's a trade they made, you know, last season, but we just didn't get to see it matriculate. Um, I mean, there were flashes of it last year, but I, I mean, Jared McCann right now is like effective extremely effective at both ends of the ice as a center mm-hmm. um you know they had him playing wing before that he transitioned smoothly over and he's played almost every forward position on the team um since arriving here right now they're rocking like what i think 55 percent of, of expected goals 55 percent of the shot attempts every night out there creating scoring chances really annoying really annoying to play against and i'll tell you what i think because it's so funny that you remind everybody of that career arc because people in Pittsburgh, it's like he just fell out of the sky, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how did we end up with this? You know, I, I, I'll i be honest, like when he went in Florida, I didn't watch him a ton in Florida and I kind of forgot about him. You know, I mean, you forget where he was drafted and some of the hype that was around him. And um, when he came to Pittsburgh, you know, you started to see him do things individually, you know, in a bottom six role where he's walking the puck out of the corner, putting it between somebody's legs and ringing it off the pipe. And you're like, whoa, where did that, co- where did that come from? You know? And now this year it's, it's, you know, that, that offensive skill, it's just been on display and he's proved to be a really effective trigger, man. 
Um, a lot of his goals have been off one-timers um, or him in just prime positions where he can kind of get shots off from really compromised positions and situations. Um, and that's been fun to watch. Well, I really thought heading into the year um, that he'd be the most enticingly used on Crosby's wing because of that combination we saw at times towards the end of last year with Crosby's obvious generational playmaking and ability to get the puck to guys exactly where they wanted and his finishing ability as a, as a trigger man and a shooter from all over the ice. And, you know, at the start of the year, I think the Penguins are a bit reticent to do that just because he was playing so well down the middle and, and provided more value there. But now with how well that third line is playing and Malkin firing on all cylinders, I think when Crosby comes back in, that might be something they revisit just because, like, it makes more sense to have him in the top six on a wing spot playing next to Crosby than, like, playing third or fourth line minutes as a center just to, to, you know, basically just keep them down the middle. So I'm really curious to see what they do there when Crosby comes back in and how they make all the pieces work. But um, if you're Mike Sullivan, you must be just salivating at the thought that you have that kind of in your back pocket and you can do so when Crosby comes back. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're potentially looking, I mean, Brandon Tanev has, has been as advertised, um, you know, length. I think better than I think advertised, right? Better, yeah, probably. Yeah. And I think yeah. people now are like, can we add two more years to this deal? Let's make it eight. You know, hell with it. Um, you know, Zach Aston Reese for my money. I mean, you, you want a shocker? Go look up his numbers defensively. If he had any hands or any semblance of offensive skill, he'd be in the Selkie conversation. Yeah, he's well, been I think, that. I think the uh, the evolving wild guys have him. Yeah, they love. Him. Right yeah, there. they have him. They have him in there. Yeah, the pure stats based only version. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, I I think if you put Jared McCann on a line with Brandon Tanner and Zach Aston Reese, the way those two are playing right now, um, that's going to be a handful. Um, and and you think again, and I hate to make all these like shouts to 2016 but that was the hallmark of that penguins team was that hbk line right um this is obviously a bit different um this is no there's no phil kessel on the ice here um but a a mccann and tana forecheck is going to be a real handful uh and if you could deploy them in any number of ways you could employ them uh throw them on the ice if if you need that momentum shift you're looking for a goal you could throw them on the ice if you want them to smother somebody and shut them down defensively i don't think there's anything that line can't do um i think the question about McCann as a wing, which I'm fine with, is what happens with Nick Bugstad when he comes back. Mm. Uh, I I think he's one of the likely candidates to potentially be dealt um, in, in a you know a, a search for Jim Rutherford to try to find some goals to help replace Jake Gensel's loss. Yeah. Um, I think Gauchenyuk's another guy in that bucket, um, probably the more likely candidate. Uh, but I think if if they if there's faith that Bugstad can get a job done at center, um, I wouldn't be shocked if if you saw him on Crosby's wing. Yeah, the tough thing with playing with Tanev and Aston Reese is that Bluger has been playing so well in that in that gig with those three guys, and and you know their numbers. I mean, I I think McCann would give them. You don't want to mess up a good thing. The fact that uh, that line has like eight goals total scored in terms of uh, five and five when they're playing together, I think sort of illuminates both their usage because they are getting such heavily slanted defensive minutes and being asked to do so much. And, you know, all their shot share numbers and, and shot profile is through the roof and they look great and, and one of the best defensive lines in the league, but potentially squeezing some more offense out of that line. If you could bring McCann in there without sacrificing a huge loss on the defensive end would, would help a long way. But, you know, with Tanev, it's, 
it's such an interesting conversation, I think, because I was right there with uh, the biggest critics this summer. I mean, the idea of giving a 28-year-old with 24 career goals uh, a six-year deal with a no-trade clause and the type of money that he got with 21 plus 21 million, I think, overall uh, throughout the span of the deal. I was like, this is an obscene signing, and I don't know what the hell's going on. And now Tanev's look great. He's drawing a ton of penalties, kills penalties for the kills, you know, the penalty killer for this team. Uh, the defensive value that I just mentioned, and he's chipping in offensively recently as well. I do think like both things can be true. You can still be critical of the deal while also acknowledging that the player is playing well. I think similarly to like what happened with the Canucks trading for JT Miller this this season, for example, where it's like. He looks great playing with Pedersen and Besser and and certainly is better utilized playing more minutes on the Canucks than he was in the Lightning last year and has improved the Canucks this season. You can still quibble with the with the logistics of like from a supply and demand perspective. It's like the Lightning had very little leverage and you're giving them an unprotected first when you probably could have gotten them for less. I think similarly in this case, without knowing what the full market was like for Tanev, it, it's you can say that he's been playing well and he's been a, a welcome addition and a net positive for the Pe- Penguins this season while also being like, I don't know if we should have given him the exact details of that deal that we did to get him in the first place. Uh, yeah, and here's the other thing too, is I think Jim Rutherford has exhibited a penchant for overpaying for players that he really wants when there may not be like this huge bidding war for them. Yep. Like he slaps down an offer that's so lucrative. Nobody else is even like, yeah, right. You know, like, I'm not giving out that contract and for better or worse, you know, I mean, I guess there's something to be said for a guy who goes out and gets what he wants, but you, I think maybe <laughs> a little bit more of a frugal way to do it. Um, but you know what? I, I, here's what I'll say. Patrick Hornquist has been unbelievable this season. Been great since coming back from injury. And, you know, you think about all the things that make him go and the beating that he takes on a nightly basis at his age. You're not really – I mean, he's out of the lineup more than you'd like. Um, I mean, his last injury was a frequent where he literally just fell because the, the ice was too fresh. So this is like a bizarre, you know, yep. typical Penguins thing. But my point being is that I think there's faith – um, that this level of play, while you certainly aren't going to take it into your 40s, is actually sustainable for a while because we've seen Chris Kunitz do it. We're seeing Patrick Hornquist do it now. Um, so, I mean, I, I think for the Penguins, there wasn't a whole lot of hesitation to throw that deal out because he's filling the role that they wanted, and, and it's a role very similar to the players. You know, and I'll throw Pascal Dupuis' name in there too that played really critical roles for this team and um, played for a really long time. And um, I kind of think Tano's just the next guy in line for that. Well, I mean, looking ahead for this Penguins team, they uh, I think between now and the deadline, they have two games each against like the Lightning, the Bruins, the Capitals, like pretty much all of the Eastern Elite. And I think we're going to, combined with Crosby coming back and fitting in and seeing how all these pieces fit, I think Jim Rutherford and the Penguins are probably viewing the return of all those players as kind of this like de facto uh, trade deadline acquisition where you're getting all of this, all these contributors back and all of this offense in uh, in internal ways at the same time. You know, you mentioned Galchenyuk there earlier and just thinking about, um, you know, potential upgrades or ways they could operate or maneuver around the deadline. I have a, I have a trade idea to pitch, pitch by you and I want to see what you think. Who says no to some deal involving Galchenyuk? And some draft capital. I don't know. We'll want to get into details of that for uh, for Brandon Sato with the Blackhawks. Who says no to that? Yeah, I mean, that, you're, you're, that's everybody in Pittsburgh's dream. Yeah, I think it's like that it makes too much connection. sense. Yeah, it's the hometown connection. Um, I think there was a reticence at first 
you know, with with the injury situation that he was in. Um, same same said for Jason Zucker, who's a player the Penguins have coveted since like June. They've been trying to get Jason Zucker. Um, both those players were hurt. The injury situation was so bad, trade targets were going down. Unprecedented. So both those players are like on their way back now. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately think um, that, that Saad is 100% one of the players that Jim Rutherford's kind of licking his chops at. Yeah, I mean, Zucker would be uh, obviously an amazing fit and a heck of a player. I think the issue with that, just from like a fit perspective, is he has so much future money coming to him. Not that it's undeserved. I mean, he's going to earn that contract. It's just like, from the Penguins' perspective, I think Saad has the rest of this year, and then he has next year at $6 million, and it's it's much cleaner of a transaction, especially with... I'm really curious to see what the market is like for Galchenyuk, because I think he's clearly had a nightmare season and um is almost unplayable at this point i think for the penguins and he's expiring now with his 4.9 million cap hit and i think if you're just looking from like a financial perspective of where the penguins can offload some money to increase their flexibility and improve uh making some sort of a deal with the blackhawks where they're similarly not looking to take on future money because of they you know when after they moved seabrook and Dehan to uh to LTIR they open up a lot of space for the rest of the season so if you can kind of entice them to take Galchenyuk's money and improve at that wing position like that'd be a very interesting route for the for the Penguins to go and I think Saad would stylistically fit very very well with this Penguins I'm not sure how much of an offensive um shot in the arm he'd give them but when you're comparing him to a guy like Tyler Toffoli let's say for example I just think like in terms of the skating and the tenacious war check I think Saad makes a lot more sense so I'm really curious to see which which route they go but I do think there's uh ways to move some pieces around there and get creative despite the fact that you know right now they're kind of up against it financially yeah, and I mean they've cleared a ton of space through long-term injured reserve as well, yeah. uh, which which helps them out big time. Um, a terrible way to do it, um, but it, again, it, any deal they make is going to have to include tangibly one of Gauchenyuk or Nick Bjugstad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think there's more of a market for Gauchenyuk. I really um, think so. I mean, just because of the, the of the contract he's on, just because of the name power. I think it's a name power thing. I think there's that, oh, I know where he was drafted. I could fix that. You know, I mean, I think that's that follows guys everywhere a lot. Uh, and I don't think it's any different in this in this state. And I, and I think the Penguins have done a lot, despite his struggles, to speak to how hard of a worker he is. Anytime you hear them talking about Alex Ketchani, because he's here every day, he's the first guy on the ice. So, like, they have a picture they've even, I think, kind of painted from some perspective of he just needs a different uh, landscape and a change of scenery, but um, yeah, no. To your point, I mean, Tyler, I like Tyler Toffoli, and Penguins fans like Tyler Toffoli. But the thing that terrifies me is his pension for just falling off the face of the earth for long stretches of time. And to your point, the Penguins are going to want somebody that can get out there and forecheck. Yeah, you're not you're not finding Jake Gensel's goal production on this market. It doesn't exist. No. Um, the best you could do is get somebody who's going to still be able to contribute lower in the lineup with a solid forecheck and, and, and a buy into the system. And this is the hype level that comes from Brandon Sod being from Pittsburgh. Give me a break. <laughs> I and mean, that alone makes it, uh, uh, I, I think, a, a good story. I, yeah, I just think he, he he's like a perfect Penguins player. It makes a lot of sense. I think he can be had for pretty cheap. I, I'm, I, the Gal China question is, is in terms of like, whether he's actually even viewed as an actual asset by any teams around the league is 
remains to be seen. Uh, I, I've seen some rumors that like the Penguins are trying to get some sort of a either player they can play or, or draft pick back in return for him. I, th- I I think it might reach the point where they might need to attach something for someone. To t- I mean, it, the thing is expiring, so it's a lot easier to move it. And and I think you could, if you're a team like the Blackhawks, for example, you could talk yourself into like, all right, well, let's bring him in for the rest of the season and see if there's anything there, and maybe we can get him on. Uh, right. get him right and then all of a sudden um, you know sign him to a bit more of a team friendly deal but at the same time I just I haven't really seen anything to suggest that's that's coming I get the pedigree I get the flashes he showed earlier in his career but I mean that game the other night uh, when they went back to Arizona and, and Mike Sullivan was trying to make some magic happen and kind of playing on the top unit power play and, and I just I really just didn't see it. I mean, I don't know no. what happened to that guy, but um, you know, combining the off ice rumors about him and then also the actual on ice results, it, it seems like teams around the league are souring quite a bit on him. It's and, and here's the thing, like it's just not there. I can't even give you something I think that has gone well for him this year in any in any facet. It's not the forecheck, and I think Mike Sullivan's been hesitant to put him out, um, you know, in situations where the Penguins need to generate momentum. Uh, and I think it's, you know, that, that's a big tell right there. Um, it, you know, for as good as his shot has been, we haven't even seen it close to enough. Um, it, it, the, you know, it's the best asset he has and it hasn't come out of the tool bag all that much. So, um, to me, I just, he looks like somebody that is in need of a much deeper level of coaching to some extent. Um, I, I've, and, and there's just even been times where, I, you know, on the breakout, you'll catch him floating, you know, maybe over into center or, um, and, and, you know, for a while I thought, oh, he's just trying to create something, but I just think that it's just square peg round hole. Um, and I don't think he's particularly all that interested in playing hockey the way that this team plays it, no. um, and sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I think he'd be well suited for at this point to go on a, a crappy team where he can kind of get back on track offensively and put up some, uh, empty calorie points i think at this point that would be good for him and that's why i think the blackhawks are a, are a natural fit but you know if there's one gm who's equipped to make something out of this i do think it's jim rutherford and i wanted to end this conversation a bit by talking about you know ray Shero recently got let go uh by the devils and he was you know got succeeded by, by rutherford in uh in pittsburgh and sort of this idea of um you know, GMing both in terms of building a team up, but also then when that team is good, being equipped to um, surround the core with the right sort of pieces on the margins and make it work. And I certainly think Rutherford hasn't been without his fault, and he's made a lot of head scratching, questionable decisions over the past couple of years in Pittsburgh. And that was largely why I thought heading into this year, because I did, really didn't like the way they approached the summer at all, that things could really go off the rails this year for the Penguins. And boy, was I ever wrong about that. But he's one thing he has shown is he's certainly not attached to his mistakes and he's willing to get off of them and i think that's the one of the better things you can say about a gm and certainly one of his biggest attributes now you could quibble with it and say well he's had to do it a few too many times for my liking and maybe it'd be better if he didn't have to do it so much but whether it was um you know capitalizing on that blackhawks desperation and moving olimata and getting back dominic cahoon who all of a sudden looks fantastic playing with uh rust and and malkin or you know this failed eric Branson experiment and getting rid of that um 
he's he's certainly shown that he's willing to do that and so whether it is uh, with a guy like Galchenyuk or something else, I feel confident saying that he's certainly going to try his best to uh, to make something happen there. So I'm really curious to see what that market's like and whether he can find some sort of creative ways to improve this team and get that extra scoring. Right. Um, Derek Broussard is yep. another one. Yep. Didn't last very long, and they, they moved him exactly when they needed to. Um, it, I mean, it's it's a long list. I I... I Ryan Reeves. That's the other one I was trying to think of. Uh, what, about, <laughs> what about renting Jamie Oleksiak for the exact same pick? That was that was one of the craziest yeah. trades. Yeah. yeah, he was only here for a cup of tea, and then we just undid. The, they just undid the trade. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so I, first of all, it's always exciting. Let's get that out of the way. A never at all moment. Um, and Jim Brotherford is probably like one of the most just blunt and honest guys. I mean, just tell you like it is, um, and isn't afraid to kind of stir the pot. I think from uh, his seat up top, you know, just with some of the things he'll say about the team or the way he'll go about addressing them. Um, you know, I I think Jim Rutherford's a great example of not always having a swing for the fence, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. You know, I, I, let's think about the New Jersey Devils, okay? Uh, you go out, you get Wayne Simmons, right? You go out, you get P.K. Subban. Uh, but look through the rest of that lineup, right? Like Blake Coleman, who's been great this year, is playing with Travis Zajac and Nikita Gusev on the second line. Right, um, your fourth line's got like John, Kevin Rooney and John Hayden on it, right? Like, so you can swing for the fences all you want, but if you if you don't have the depth, right, and, and you can't you can't, and I think that Ray Shero, I, I think you know in Pittsburgh got a, and a part of that home run ball culture. Um, it worked out great with Marion Hosa. Uh, it worked out great, you know. It, it didn't work out great with with uh, uh, Jerome McGinley. Yep. Um, for every one that worked, another two didn't, and I and I think that that home run ball carried over into Shero's business in the offseason this year and left that team with a lot of holes in it. Certainly, I think that yeah, the end of Shero's run in uh in Pittsburgh was was very strange. But you know, like it it was tough because on the one hand he inherited such a an aging kind of barren uh, talent wise mess uh, that Lou Amarillo left behind in New Jersey and kind of this like aging veteran core that was on the way out. And so I think on the one hand, in his four or five years there, he did a really good job of making a bunch of like small victories in terms of squeezing value out obviously the taylor hall trade mm-hmm. and two first overall picks help but this year was the perfect encapsulation for me of that era where it was like we went into year into the year and everyone was like the devils did a really good job they got a lot better this summer and then they actually hit the ice and for whatever reason and a lot of it has to do with the fact that the goaltending has been terrible but they just didn't have the results for it and so it's this kind of like promising yet ultimately disappointing uh run of play for them and so i guess the timing was the was the thing that was just the strangest because you know you essentially let him make or oversee uh the trade of your best player in taylor hall and then less than one month later he's on the way out and you know the timing of that kind of didn't sit right with a lot of people but i think the way they're viewing it is they have a a huge deadline ahead for themselves here because in a league where there's so much parity and there's like 25 teams that can talk themselves into hanging around the playoff race they're one of the few sellers and with guys like you know palmieri simmons uh you know coleman vatten and so on and so forth they have all these guys where i'm sure they want to go a certain route and so uh the timing makes more sense from that perspective when you view it as like they're gearing up for a big deadline but uh the combination of all of it is just kind of bit odd i don't know if there's anything to this but i mean and i'll ask you this question do you think that that he waited too long to pull the trigger on the coaching change yeah i mean you certainly see that uh you know sometimes 
you know, especially if, if the if the GM oversaw the hiring of a coach, like they can be their guy and they kind of are reluctant to do so. But I'm like Dan not sure Bilesma, what the story was. Ring there. a bell, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's kind of. I mean Ray Shero's that that he he tied his anchor to that ship for better or worse, and when it didn't work out with Dan Bosma. Ray Shero went down with that ship. Um, and I, I kind of get the sense that maybe we kind of just saw something very similar happen there to him. Mm, yeah, could be. I don't know, man. This Metro division is is crazy. I was looking little, at it this morning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Penguins, Caps, Isles, and Canes would all be leading the Pacific division. And, like, one of those teams is going to be, like, scratching and clawing for a wild card spot. And uh, you know you can lump the Flyers in there as well, who are who are mm-hmm. playing like really good defensive hockey. And it's just this murderous row of teams, so it's going to make for a really fun race down the middle, but uh, down the stretch. But it's also going to, as good as the Penguins have been, and they've been rattling off and banking all these wins. It's like you can't really afford to take your foot off the gas pedal because where you finish in that grand scheme of things could really impact like your your blueprint for making a long playoff run. And the fun part is uh, the Penguins and Capitals haven't played yet. Yeah. And so we're getting in. Too. Oh yeah, and, and we're getting into. I think starting January, well February second, I think actually is the first one. So, oh uh, no, 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 we have one coming up. You just mentioned it uh, this week, and then uh, yeah, again in February second. So the point being, you're about to sandwich a lot of Penguins Capitals games into a very short period of time. Man, the more Same I think is, about, the more I think about say, this Penguin season is crazy. It is crazy. I mean, just think about it. Like we just did an hour long podcast. And uh, we didn't really like we kind of like tangentially referred to him, but I don't think we actually talked about Sidney Crosby <laughs> point per game player with a giant hole in his abdominal wall um, earlier in the year. That's the crazy. I had this conversation the other night with a couple guys. We were talking about, you know, what to expect. Right. Yeah. What do you expect from Sidney Crosby? Um, and he played 17 games with this problem. This isn't something that just like he had this issue at the beginning of the year. And I was thinking back and, and like we were jokingly going back and looking at some of his points uh, from earlier in the year. And you had no idea there was something wrong with them. You didn't even know. You know, and then it, it's terrifying to me to think the fact that he's about to come back into this team that's playing this well, having, you know, averaged a point per game in the first half of the year with a serious, serious problem that is now, um, you know, good to go. And the Penguins have been so good that they've afforded him the ability to take his time. There's been no panic about this. It hasn't been a, we're going to rush you back. Everybody thought he was going to play Friday uh, in Colorado. Everyone thought they were going to see him Friday. Um, everybody thought they were going to see him Sunday in Arizona. It was almost a sure thing. His sticks were taped. They were next to his locker stall. Uh, but this team's been that good that they've been able to give him the time to make sure he is 110% ready to go. Um, and my goodness, that's... Uh, that's frightening. Um, it's not a sight out of mind thing, but um, it wasn't that long ago that he was he was doing some amazing stuff, you know, at fifty percent. Yeah, but it's the most hockey thing ever. Like on a you know from a logical like rational perspective, it's like all right, this team is fourth in point percentage, third in goal differential. They're right there in the discussion for the president's trophy, and then like they're adding a guy who probably should have won MVP last year or, or was right there. It's like, all right, like they're going to take it to an even higher level, but then you know that like they're going to have some like unlucky losses or something, and they're actually going to come down off of that pace and go through a losing streak, and people are going to be like writing somehow unironic takes on Twitter and articles about like whether he disrupted <laughs> he their flow yeah. and rhythm and, and whether they were better <laughs> off without him. It's like coming. you just know it's yeah. coming. There's no question about that. Um, let me, th- I'll throw this one at you. The Penguins mm-hmm. right now are the best defensive team in hockey. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that that can be debated. I mean, they, they limit shot quality, scoring chances, shot attempts. I don't care how you want to look at it. 
Um, I think the biggest part of Crosby's game, you know, outside of obviously the obvious that he provides to you on offense is the impact he has on your team defensively. And I, I know that's such a Selkie for Crosby for Selkie trope. Uh, Pittsburgh guy here, Crosby for Selkie. It's just true. I mean, I don't care how you want to quantify it. Sidney Crosby is a massively positive impact on this team defensively. Yep. So that I think of it from that angle even. I mean, they've already are this good defensively. And now you're adding this other guy in who I legitimately feel is one of the best defensive 200, you know, quote unquote foot forwards in the National Hockey League. Um, that's the thing that really kind of blows my mind is what where does this team go uh, from here uh, from a defensive perspective when he gets back in the lineup and when Brian Dumoulin gets back in the lineup? Um, you know, we haven't even seen this thing yet at full strength. We don't even know what it looks like yet. We, have, we haven't gotten to that point. Well, here are the two things I'll say. One is I think just, you know, the most obvious or natural fit is like we talked about how it's very reminiscent of that 2016 Penguins team in terms of how they play fast. And Crosby's just like superhuman ability to process the game and make quick decisions with the puck is certainly going to help. And that's going to reflect itself in those defensive numbers because they're going to be further away from their own net. But I think on the power play where you know, they're sixth in expected goals and they're seventh, 17th in actual goals. So you could argue they've been a bit unlucky and that would kind of regress naturally. But having his playmaking and vision and, and passing out there for that, like we know their 5-on-5 dominance right now where they're basically top five in every single metric. If they can also get back to being a top 10 power play and they're just getting easy, cheap goals through that area of the game as well, then all of a sudden you're going to be kind of really, really cooking there. The Penguins at even strength and on the power play have relied really heavily this season on low to high puck movements to mm-hmm. open up lanes. I think that's a little bit that that if there's one major difference, that's it. And uh, to your point, uh, Sidney Crosby loves that that low corner goal line um, with this sort of like low to high environment the Penguins are in. Um, I I'd be keeping my eyes peeled for for more insanity from him just in terms of his puck distribution uh, on the man advantage. Um, it, it, the stuff that we saw him doing earlier this year was was it was like a telekinesis type situation. So um, I, I'm that's one thing you know I think it maybe I don't think it's going to take him all that long to get back. Uh, I think he's going to have an immediate impact uh, right out of the the first power play that the Penguins have, especially with that focus, you know, being uh, you know corner to point, um, you know, opening and closing the the defense like an accordion. That's where he's at his best. Um, I, I think it's in a system that that accommodates him perfectly. Um, and I, I'm a, I think everybody should be excited to see what he could do in it. Yeah, that's a good, good, a good way to put a bow on this episode. Sidney Crosby's good, and we're excited to watch him, and we're glad he's going to be back in our lives. And uh, yeah, it's going to add another layer of intrigue to what's already been a remarkable first 50 games or so for the Penguins. So, Jesse, I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing the stretch run, seeing how that Metro division shakes out, and and um, seeing just what happens the rest of the way in, in Pittsburgh. So I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point, and. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to chatting. Where can people uh, check out your work and, and follow you online? Yeah, on the Athletic Pittsburgh uh, via podcast at uh, the Dying Alive uh, podcast, which is now part of the Athletic, uh, and uh, on Twitter at jmarshfof. I got a couple of hockey's feature burners too, but I'm gonna keep those to myself. Nice, nice, uh, nicely done. All right, man. Well, this was a blast. I'm really glad we got to do this, and hopefully, we did this uh, this ridiculous uh, Penguin season justice. And I'm looking forward to chatting soon. All right, thanks, man the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and
and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.